What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Oh, hi. Before we talk with Mary Trump, <laughs> don't forget to go shopping through our Amazon link at BobSuska.com. The all caps Amazon link just beneath the logo will take you to the front page of Amazon where you can go shopping until you're dropping. But by using our link, we'll collect a small commission on some of your purchases. Thanks for clicking on the Amazon link. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, September 16, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is the president's niece, Dr. Mary Trump, author of the revelatory new book, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man, which sold nearly a million copies on its first day of release. Dr. Trump also holds a PhD in psychology, making her especially insightful when it comes to the indecency and awfulness of her uncle, the president. To quote Joe Biden, today's conversation is a big effing deal. And if you like what you hear today, please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Patreon page at BobSuskaShow.com. Okay, here we go. Let's talk with author Dr. Mary Trump. Hello? Dr. Trump, it's Bob Seska. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> me today. Bob. <laughs> hey, Mary, please. Are you sure? Because I tend to be a bit of a fuddy-duddy about these things. Look, whatever you... Whatever you're comfortable with, but it, please do not stand on ceremony for my okay. take. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, <laughs> congratulations on the book. And, you know, having received my fair share of nasty emails over the years, I can't even <laughs> imagine what your DMs and emails must look like these days. Have you received the, uh, the usual portion of death threats from angry red hats yet? Um, I am going to blow your mind. <laughs> no, I have on Twitter. It's like 95% positive and the rest is like, yeah, yeah. You tied your 15 minutes. You're a grifter. You're in for the money, whatever. Uh, how dare you treat, how dare you betray your family because they've been so good to you. Um, and I've had some, uh, letters sent to my house, mm -hmm. but they're like, you know, you're a piece of shit. Your dad was an alcoholic loser, oh, you know. I have not had one death threat. You know what? I'm really, really pleased because anytime one of these books comes out, especially someone who, like you, is a member of the Trump family, 
you would imagine that the Red Hats would just go indiscriminately bonkers and you'd be getting all of the usual, you know, the nooses and all the rest of, you know, the, the usual treatment that they give yep. anybody who's mean to their messiah. So, but I mean, I would have thought yeah, by well, now you'd have like an open phone line with the FBI cyber crimes division or something like that. But I'm so relieved that that's not the case. So what goes through your head uh, when you see the Red Hat Entertainment Complex and your uncle himself framing himself as like this alpha patriot who's done great things for the nation when we know it's all lies? I mean, what is your mindset when you see these sorts of things coming down, this kind of uh, false uh, framing of your uncle? You know, one of the one of the purposes, in my view, of liberal democracy mm-hmm. is to contain these kinds of people. Yeah. Right. You know, they can each have their vote, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. But from 2016 to 2018, that 22 to 28 percent was represented by 100 percent of the federal government. Yeah. And they were encouraged and they were never. They were never forced to rethink anything they were essentially unfettered yeah in a way that was detrimental to them as it was to the entire country mm-hmm. so it isn't surprising because uh these things are are contagious yeah in a way so i think it's um you know is it even controllable anymore yeah yeah and it it really worries me because well, I mean, for all the obvious reasons, yeah. but uh, regardless of what happens in November, I mean, can we put this back in the bottle? Right. I, you know, I don't know. The other, the other thing that it makes me realize is that, um, you know, we should be. I mean, if I were, you know, a parent of a child who was, you know, throwing everything away to, you know, follow Donald around. Mm. I would want to sue the Department of Education (laughs) for failing my children so miserably um, because people are so ignorant. And that was one of the very deliberate um, agendas of the Republican Party over the course of the last four decades. Yeah, it it seems so obvious when I see your uncle maneuvering on the national stage, uh, serially disinforming the public. It is so obvious that he's not the way his fanboys and Fox News Channel and the AM talk radio hosts portray him as. Why is it not obvious to Trump's fanboys? Why aren't they seeing what we all see? Because, I mean, one of the most frustrating things about your uncle is his lies are so obvious. His deceit is so clearly transparent. But his people don't see that. What's the disconnect? I mean, why are they so thoroughly snowed by him? You know, I find it as maddening and mystifying as you do, probably, Mm -hmm. because I don't think there is an obvious explanation. Yeah. Um, It's impossible for me or probably anybody on our side to be objective about it, right? Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, as you say, we look at him. Well, I'll just speak for myself. I look at him and I see an idiot, (laughs) you know, self-absorbed, vain um, selfish, unempathetic, cruel, deeply unintelligent human being. 
to the extent that he's human. There's literally nothing to admire about this person. Yeah. In addition to that, you know, he's also weak and and afraid. Yeah. And like he's a physical coward. He's you know. So it's not just like how do they see it in him, but how do they see anything good in him? But how do they see exactly the opposite of what he is? Right. Um. Because okay. Fox News is going to portray portray him how they do. Uh, most of the Republicans in Congress are going to do the same thing in his administration and his children. But there is nothing you could say about him that would stand up if you just look at him and listen to him. Mm-hmm. Right. So I really think it's something we're going to have to figure out. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think for a lot of People, it is it's it's expedient. They're using him the way he's always been used. But you know, you're talking about his his fans. You know, his cult members. Right, right. Um, and I guess we, you know the explanation is what it is for any other cult follower. Uh, these are weak, damaged people. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, they have an axe to grind. And you know, that's that's another thing that that mystifies me. These are privileged white people in a country that privileges white people yeah. and not always economically privileged. I understand that. But just by virtue of being white, they are privileged. What are they so angry about? Do they love him because he's a monster or do they just not know that he's a monster? <laughs> oh, they, uh, well, hmm. some of them don't. Like, I think, yeah. you know, a lot of white evangelicals of, of you know, of that strain of white evangelicism actually think that he's you know god's gift and that he's a whole i can't even believe i i can't it's hard, impossible to say that with a straight face um <laughs> it's just, well it's just so deeply absurd like mm-hmm. one of the things like i resent the fact that we even have to talk about this stuff yeah. like i resent that we have to talk about my cousins or you know do you think they could maybe be a Republican nominees and for like shoot me? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. It's one of the most unforgivable things about this the last four years is that we are forced to have discussions about people who should never have been allowed. Yeah. In public discourse, you know. Um, so. There's something that feels uh, ugly, I would imagine, when you have to, for the sake of your nation. For the sake of of your patriotism, of the patriotism of up to 65 million plus Americans who did not vote for this guy, it's got to be tough to wheel out all that dirty laundry and say, here, look, here's the evidence. Here's the receipts. So when you reveal all these private details about your family, on some level, does it feel oogie to you? Does it make you feel oogie? Um, Honestly, no. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... Loyalty, I know nobody else in my family feels this way, but, you know, loyalty is a two-way street. Yeah. Right. And honest, and also the word oogie just cracked me off. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. Yeah. That's great. Um, I may have to steal that from you. I didn't make it up. It was, I think it was, I heard that in the movie Misery. I think that was Kathy Bates who said that oh, in Misery. Oh yeah. you're yeah. right. Okay, I should know that because I and, see that. And we're, we're all, I will dare admit. We're all the James Conn character now, and your your uncle is kind of like the Annie Wilkes, uh, Kathy Bates character. So, yeah, there is an oh, yeah, overlap. 
yeah, and if all goes south, uh, uh, November third, just hobble me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or that will hobble me. So, um, no, you know what? Felt that um, you know it was necessary, mm-hmm. and I mean, certain things definitely made me feel uncomfortable. But the stakes yeah. were so high. Oh yes. And like, it wasn't even about like you know not like personal loyalty, but like. Why? Because I happen to be related to this person who, by the way, you know, treated was had a big hand in destroying my dad, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, and didn't exactly behave with any basic human decency when it came to, you know, my family. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, I didn't owe them anything, but. I also wouldn't have done this if there weren't so much at stake. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're talking about the country. I know people think some people may still think that's hyperbolic. We're talking about the destruction of American democracy, you know, failing the American experiment. And what then happens to the rest of the world? Yeah. Yeah. So like there was so much in the balance, hanging in the balance that it, it, it easily overcame any reluctance or feelings of discomfort I had because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I felt such an obligation and a responsibility to do, to do anything I could. Oh yeah. And you know what? You're in such a unique position uh, for insight uh, into the president uh, because not only do you have the family connection, but you're also a psychologist and being a psychologist, you have that uh, ability to clinically diagnose your uncle on top of observing what we're all observing. So, I mean, along those lines, regarding your uncle's pathology, um, we hear the word sociopath getting tossed around quite a bit. I know I've used that diagnosis myself to describe your uncle more than once. Is that an accurate diagnosis? And if so, tell us about what it means to be a sociopath and how it's manifested in the president. Yeah, well, actually, the the diagnosis, Technical diagnosis would be antisocial personality disorder mm-hmm. um, at, at the extreme end, you know, so criminality, you know, uh, feeling like the rules don't apply to you, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, as, as with any kind of um, psychiatric disorder, these things exist on a spectrum. So you refer to somebody as a sociopath or a psychopath, you're, that, that's at the very extreme end of that particular spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I deliberately don't diagnose Donald partially because there's so much going on. It's an incredibly <laughs> complex process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it. more than that, though, I don't think it's relevant. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's perfectly fine shorthand to call him a sociopath or a narcissist. Um, because, you know, it has explanatory power and it, people know what that means. And he certainly behaves like one. Mm-hmm. You know? So at the end, and that's what I say to people. It's like, okay, well, is he this, that, or the other? Maybe. But look at what he's doing. Yeah. Just look at his behavior. Mm-hmm. And then who cares what we call it? He's, he's killing people oh, on a God. daily basis. Yep. Yep. Through, and I don't. I don't like to say inaction because it's it's active failure to do something. You know, um, he's continuing to 
kidnap, torture, and incarcerate children in de facto concentration camps. Yeah. Um, he is deliberately, probably not deliberately, because, again, he doesn't know anything, but <laughs> with a lot of help, he is dismantling our institutions. You know, he's destroying institutional memory by gutting things like the State Department. Uh, he's allowing Bill Barr to turn the Justice Department into, um, you know, a criminal enterprise, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, no, it's like people don't talk about this very much, but think about what all of this is doing to career civil servants who've given their lives or dedicated their, their lives to, you know, serve their country in their own way. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a lot of deeply bad behavior going on. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if sociopath works as a descriptor, then I've no problem with that. Yeah. And I admire you for taking that position, Dr. Trump, because I go back to um, an incident that happened. I, I don't remember exactly the date, but there was a woman who was in a persistent vegetative state named Terry Schiavo. And the Republicans oh, yeah. in Congress made a huge deal out of this case. And you had the Frist, right? yeah, Bill Frist, who then was the Senate majority leader, who was deciding to uh, diagnose Terry Schiavo from 1600 miles away. And I found that quite dubious, even for someone who's a doctor, to be diagnosing someone's medical condition from that kind of distance. So I tend to step away from that kind of closet industry of trying to figure out Donald Trump's psychology. And I'm glad you have that, that same approach that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable <laughs> in trying to sidestep all of that because it is, it's, <laughs> I always compare watching Donald Trump to staring into the open uh, reactor core at Chernobyl as it's on fire spewing <laughs> radiation right into your face. So it's yeah, not, it's not fun it to, like. yeah, it's not fun yeah. to gaze into that brain for any length of time, but. Uh, but it was like run away, man. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of the <laughs> practical impact of his psychology, do you think he realizes that he's a fascist? Do you think he realizes that he's a tyrant or does he, is he just playing by his instincts and they just happen to emerge that way? He doesn't have any ideology. I can see that, you know, he, for very complicated reasons. His message, his approach uh, in 2015, 2016, just resonated with enough people. Yeah. And if the Republican Party had done its job, it would have been checked. But, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Those voices got amplified. Those voices got represented at the expense of everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not like Donald had his fingers on the pulse of the zeitgeist, you know? Yeah. Um, as for, you know, how that works, he, he is, um, I cannot remember the name of the psychologist and I wish I could, but um, he wrote a book, I believe it's called uh, The Strange Case of Donald Trump. And he refers to Donald as the episodic man. <laughs> and that fits in really neatly with how I understand him. You know, most of us have an overarching story to our lives and we evolve and we adapt. Dumb doesn't do that. Hmm. You know, uh, he, he lives in the moment. And I don't mean that in a like mindful kind of way. 
Um, but he does have a story about himself. The pro- and it has a beginning, a middle, and, the end, and an end. The problem is it happens with literally within the moment. And the story mm-hmm. is, I was just winning. I'm winning now. I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah. Really complicated, isn't it? So he's very deep. So, <laughs> you know, if, it, if in order to get that, it means becoming an autocrat or, it mean, you know, taking a fascistic approach or something. Again, not that he knows that's what he's doing. Um, so be it. Um, because because he doesn't have any ideology, yeah. you know, and what he, all he knows is that not only does he always need to be winning, he always deserves to be winning mm-hmm. and any means necessary to make that happen are fine. Yeah. Cheating, stealing, he deserves it. So all of that is completely within bounds for him. And I don't know if this is uh, a direct question about his psychology, but more of a general observation. What is it about your uncle that makes him inadvertently publicize things like your book, for example, that he actually wants to destroy? (laughs) I mean, I have a maxim that goes, Trump always makes things worse for Trump. Uh, Yes, I love that. It's so accurate. (laughs) Is your uncle deliberately or accidentally self-destructive? It's accidental. I mean, let me wow. let me rephrase. It's it's unconscious. Mm-hmm. It's a better way of putting it, I think. Yeah. Um, and part of it too, though, like on a superficial level, it's just like he can't. He of course he doesn't see it that way. He can't let things stand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he has no restraint. He has no impulse control. I'm <laughs> sure. I'm I'm not in entirely sure how many, but I'm pretty sure a lot of white assays were instructed to like sit on him (laughs) (laughs) when my book came out so that he wouldn't tweet something like he tweeted, which did him so much harm and me none at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But he can't help himself. And I think part of that, if he's doing it, it's good. Yeah. And um, what did he like my grandfather and Donald, their philosophy way back was always um, all publicity is good publicity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, a- since he's incapable of nuance, you know, I'm sure he thinks that like, and he wasn't keeping me in the news. He was keeping himself in the news. You know? mm-hmm. It seemed so uh, counterproductive to his own cause. Hey, everybody, look at this book. My niece has got a book coming out. Hey, look, did I tell you about the book yet? Yep. It's yep. so it's so dumb. But I, I think f- from his perspective, he's being strong and he's showing his yeah. fanboys that he's not going to take it lying down, that he's not that he's going to fight back. But it invariably just publicizes the thing he's trying to kill. Uh, it's but just also, incredible. Think about watch. what that means, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't just going after some random stranger. He was going after his niece. Yeah. yeah. You know, without even knowing what I said yet. Um, although, actually, he went after me even worse after the tapes started coming out. Yeah. Um, so, you know which is fair, but again, the optics are not good because I didn't say anything. It was my aunt talking, not me. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. So have have you spoken with your aunt Mary yet? uh, President's sister, since you released the tapes of your conversations? No, (laughs) Uh, no, I have not. And I understand why. Okay. 
You know, one of the ongoing themes we've witnessed with this presidency is how Trump routinely uh, destroys both his enemies and his allies, uh, if it'll help him personally. He does this to his own family, including your dad, and to an extent, your nephew, William, right? He, uh, yeah. Your uncle claims to be uh, this family guy always protecting his family, but he doesn't care about anyone outside of himself, does he? No, he does not. No. Um, he, if, if it were useful to him in some way... Um, or if you got him out of something he didn't want to be in, um, my cousins are just as expendable as anybody else, which is why I'm, well, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure you've noticed the desperation a couple of my cousins exhibit, you know, in, in terms of being his cheerleader. Um, and I'm sure by now they're all, all quite adept at, um, manipulating him so that, you know, they never get on the wrong side of them. And for decades, uh, the president was this cartoon character, obviously long before he became president. He was this punchline from New York City. And then he became almost a boardwalk caricature of himself on The Apprentice. They just kind of took all the Trump things from the previous couple of decades and turned them into, you know, one of those silly big head drawings that you get at the boardwalk. Um, But (laughs) why are so many people willing to stake their careers and livelihoods on defending him so vigorously. We see that almost every day. I think at this point, um, they don't have a choice anymore. Mm-hmm. Because if he goes down, a lot of other people are going down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even if some of these people aren't directly impacted, you know, they don't go to prison or whatever, they're going to lose power and they're going to lose uh, future potential. Mm-hmm. So... they were to come to their senses and say, Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. I can't support him anymore. And Mm -hmm. also, by the way, most people don't support him. They support what they can get away with under him, you know? Um, So I think taking a stand now means risking his wrath now Mm -hmm. and then burning any bridges if he doesn't manage to steal the next election, um, I mean, sorry, if he does manage to steal the next election and then they're out. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, they're just going to have to, I'm sure they're all hoping desperately that he does manage to steal the election because otherwise under Joe Biden, things will also be bad. So I guess they're just sort of hedging their bets and saying, let, let, let me wait. And hopefully I'll be protected if he gets to stay in the Oval Office for four more years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's a really um, I'd like to think that most of them aren't so stupid as to imagine that it's different for them that they somehow that he somehow will be loyal to them and and will will help them no matter what. But I think there are. A, unbelievably some people around him who do believe those things mm-hmm. um and you see it in their their cravenness right and their though like the, mike pence is the epitome of that to me oh yeah yeah just the spineless uh it's just like odious is the perfect word for like him and yeah. mike pompeo you know when they're so sycophantic um that it's because you know it can't be about Donald. It has to be about what they think. Yeah, 
they can get with him still where he is, but it's deeply creepy either way. Oh, yeah. Creepy is a great word for it. Slimy is another great word for it. Um, And along those lines, Michael Cohen in his new book talks about how your uncle, for lack of a better term, perved out on Cohen's 15-year-old daughter at the pool one day. Um, And he did something similar to, yeah, he's done something similar to many young girls, including, in fact, you. Uh, Tell me about that story. You know, I was an adult. But it would have been creepy if it were some guy yeah. that much older than I was. Come, I think of my parents as it was deeply inappropriate, specifically because he was my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, not nearly as bad though as what how he's treated, acted around, spoken to yeah. girls. You know, um, we've heard story, the stories about the teenage pageants in which. He felt perfectly within his rights to walk into their dressing rooms, um, comment on their appearance, like they were his property or something, you know, no matter how exposed they were in the moment. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a piece of work. It is not an accident that there are so many pictures of him with Jeffrey Epstein and Blaine Maxwell. It's unbelievable. Not a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, are there any rumors that go around among family members, uh, things that we may have not heard about that would further corroborate the concept that that your uncle is just unnecessarily and disgustingly salacious with uh, uh, whether it's underage girls or whether it's women who are of age? Is there some other dimension to that that we haven't heard about, or is it pretty much uh, what you see is what you get? I think it's what you see is what you well, actually, I don't know that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd say, unfortunately, for the for our purposes, because I wish I had that kind of information, yeah. I don't. I, fortunately, for my sake, as somebody in my family, nobody told me those kinds of stories when I was a teenager or in my 20s. Yeah. Because, like, who wants to know that about their uncle? <laughs> right. um, you know, I, because you don't think about your aunts and uncles that way or your parents or your grandparents, mm-hmm. right? Um and I had heard that, I mean, I'd never, we never really talked about it in the family, but publicly I'd heard that uh, Donald was a germaphobe. So, yeah. you know, I just made an assumption that that meant that he was, you know, did it, I don't know, that he was sort of not a particularly, uh, you know, like play the field or anything like that, because how could a germaphobe do that? Yeah. Um, and again, not that I thought about it this way until my aunt said to me, because I heard something about affairs, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's a German. <laughs> I yeah. was young, so to be fair. And she's like, oh my God, Mary, he's the horniest person I've ever known. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, one, I never want to hear my aunt say I that know. word, and two, I do not want to, I don't want that in my head, but it's in my head now. I have nothing so, to do with your family, uh, Dr. Trump, but it's making me want to barf right about now. Yeah. I'm sorry. We can edit that out. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't want it's people good. like complaining that, we made them, that no, I made them sick. No, it's all good. It's fine. I'm not, not going to touch that. <laughs> yeah, you know, in fact, the other night, Rachel Maddow asked uh, Michael Cohen uh, whether he was aware of your uncle paying for abortions. Are there any rumors uh, about that? Not rumors so much as it's just an assumption yeah. that you can make, I can make, uh, but, you know, no proof. Um, I am, I have to say, I, I am a little bit surprised and disappointed uh, that 
more people didn't come out with that kind of thing. Although, again, mm-hmm. who knows if it would have made a difference. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things I was hoping would be the result of the book, that it would sort of embolden other people if they had tapes to bleak tapes. If, you oh, know, yeah. If, yeah. If, if they felt conflicted because it would have meant going against their families who maybe are Republicans or support Donald. Um, but in terms of his personal conduct, it is, it is a little amazing. It makes you wonder how many $130,000 checks there are out there. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Yeah. And you know what? Along those lines, um, regarding the E. Jean Carroll case, my friend Josh Dobbin yeah. wanted me to ask you about that particular uh, situation specifically would you be willing to submit a DNA test to at least show a Trump family link to whatever evidence Carol's attorneys have? Um, I, I honestly, I don't even know if I can talk directly about that or not. But what I will say is, is this: mm-hmm. I wish I could talk about this, but <laughs> what I can say is, I know for a fact because of something I did that it. Not only would it not help, it could be harmful to her case. I see. Interesting. So I wish I could let everybody on Twitter know, but, um, you know, I would do anything to help. But right. there is literally nothing I could do to help Yeah. because of the way DNA works. Yeah, I thought maybe there was uh, some way to at least be able to tell that you were generally in the same family gene pool uh, through that kind of evidence but uh um doesn't yeah i think it's a, a gender thing and a not closely enough related thing i see gotcha okay we'll get back to our conversation here with dr mary trump but first now that you've said goodbye to summer it's time for things to get back to our everyday autumn groove everything is flavored with pumpkin spice of course and before you know it the leaves will start changing color With so much changing around us, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time just for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. Visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines too. Number 11s, whatever that is, and crow's feet. Take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. And by the way, the results are going to last for hours, so you can take the family apple picking and look your best the whole damn time. Even better, Plexiderm doesn't involve any visits to a surgeon and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. You can try a six-application trial for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com or call 1-800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and use the code VOICES at checkout. Thank you. One more thing. Bacteria and viruses live everywhere. Are you scared yet? They're on your phone, your earbuds, your car keys, groceries, packages, wallet, even your face mask. But sanitizing those items is an important part of staying safe and healthy. But it can also mean using harmful chemicals that constantly need to be replaced. The Clean Phone line of products changes all of that. The Clean Phone brand offers a full range of sanitizing products that use ultraviolet light. This is the same technology used to sanitize hospital rooms and medical equipment. And by the way, you should not put it inside your body. 
quality. The Clean Phone products have been tested by independent laboratories and provide the best quality UV sanitizing for every possible need. The Clean Phone is a device designed for phones and household items. It even works as a wireless charger for your cell phone. And now, add the new Clean Phone Wand, a portable handheld unit. That can go anywhere and be used to sanitize tablets, computers, packages, groceries, and more. Go to thenewdealshop.com to select the right clean phone products for you. Get free FedEx two-day shipping, and as an added bonus, get 10% off FDA-authorized respirator face mask. Go to thenewdealshop.com now. That's free FedEx two-day shipping and a bonus 10% off FDA-authorized respirator face mask at thenewdealshop.com. Seriously, go there now. The Bob Seska Show. One last question about your family. And you know what? It's strange. It makes me feel oogie like pressing you about your family business. And so forgive me. Forgive me if I get too forward. Are there any Trump family members who actually like your uncle as a guy? Yeah, I can't wait to hang out with Donald this weekend. Well, first of all, um, I kind of wrote a whole book about it, so it would be a little <laughs> weird for me to be offended by such Well, questions. you know, I'm just, so, I'm so weird forth. that way, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate it, but um, it's perfectly within bounds. Okay. Um, and the quick answer to your question is no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, the, the, um, the, the way I always explained it um and it's probably different now as in worse now, but like when I was in my twenties and, um, I was, uh, I was spending more time with him because I was working on his third book. And, um, I think the general consensus in the family was that Donald was an asshole, Yeah, but he was ours. You know? <laughs> so, um, didn't, like, and also, he was not, he was, uh, for whatever reason, and I have my own theory about this, but he he was easier to deal with back then. Like, he could be, um, he was less awful. Yeah. You know? Um, so, because why, why, why wouldn't he be? Right. Like he got everything, everything always was, he always got his way. Um, you know, they, whatever stressors he had, well, first of all, mostly of his own creating, but also he always got bailed out by my grandfather and then the banks. And he was still allowed to believe that he was the best, smartest, most amazing self-made man on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but no, like nobody would like want to go on vacation with him. God, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, no. it's, nope. It seems to, just looking in from the outside, there was a noticeable changeover in his personality and his overall public style when the comeback <laughs> happened. Because um, at least based on what I know about his history, after the bankruptcies and everything, he decided to kind of shift his focus onto his own personal branding and make that the guiding force, the thing that animates the Trump organization. It's all about him and his personality. So therefore, all those awful things that may have been just boiling under the surface suddenly came out and that became the Trump brand. 
Because it seemed like right around there, right around the comeback, that's when all the awful crap started coming out of his mouth on a regular basis. All the attacks against the press and the you know just the vendettas and all the rest of it. That became. Do you uh, mean in the early in the early nineties or in the early? Well, yeah, I would say in the early nineties, right around when he right yeah, it was after the bankruptcies and when he was trying to uh, to to show that he wasn't a giant loser for 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 bankrupting casinos of all places. Yeah, because you know, yeah, that's hard. That's uh, really hard to do. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) So he does have the skill. There you Mm. go. Um, Yeah, I I think you're you're picking some. You're picking up on something interesting, um, and I, I think it also um, happened in a slightly different way when um, The Apprentice began happening, and for slightly different reasons. But I in see. the early '90s, it's the first time in his life he was being held accountable. Hmm. And again, think about this: being held accountable with all of the bankruptcies was being given a $450,000 a month allowance for his personal expenses. Yeah. So, you know, that was, the, that was the version of accountability that the banks cooked up for him. But it was also, you know, in my family, you cannot, you cannot lose. I mean, the rest of us could do whatever we wanted because my grandfather didn't care. But if you were my, my dad or my uncle, you know, you don't be weak, you don't lose. Mm-hmm. You never admit you're wrong. So for Donald, because of various complicated developmental reasons and because of the example of my dad and how my grandfather completely dismantled him, for Donald, I can't admit I'm wrong. I can never be wrong. I am never wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah. No matter what happens, it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. So to combat all of the negative press he was getting, he had to combat it with incredible, incredible force, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think he, as soon as he saw it working, he, you see him do this all the time. He doubles down. He doubles down on the lies. He doubles down on the, the meanness. He doubles down on um, the attacking Um, so that's, and again, there's always a segment of the population that is going to, um, be moved by that. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the weirdest things for me, because I was in college when Donald started to be known outside Mm -hmm. of New York. Um, so through the eighties and the early nineties, like, you know, people, uh, usually, you know, obnoxious white guys would tell me that they admired him and they had posters of him in, his, in their room. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it was it was sort of like what we were talking about before. Like, I didn't get it. I didn't see it. It made no sense to me. Like, how can you admire him? Mm-hmm. And even although even at the time, like everybody else, I bought into the, the, the myths that my grandfather created about him, too. Like, I literally thought that Donald was this was richer than everybody else in the family because he'd done it on his own merits. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think we see that again when, when Donald was in really tough straits in the early two thousands, Mark Burnett. And this is something 
for which Mark Burnett should be excommunicated forever, uh, gave him the platform platform of The Apprentice. Um, and I think that's, that's really when the branding thing took off even more. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, my grandfather died, so there weren't going to be any more funds from him. And, um, you know, his properties were had gone bankrupt. And then because of The Apprentice and having that, having his obnoxiousness amplified, it played, it he got good ratings and he just kept going. And I think that's when over that 10, 15 year period, that's sort of when he lost whatever little he had left of, um, I don't know. I'm yeah. not entirely sure how to put it because he was never a great guy, but you know, <laughs> that little spark. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny spark of, well, you know, uh, look, your uncle has the capacity to be charming. Uh, he can do it, but it's very, very limited, and it's wafer thin. <laughs> it doesn't really, but <laughs> somehow he's to able say to. That with a French accent or something. <laughs> exactly right. Oh man, there is a lot of overlap between your your uncle and Mister Creosote. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't know if there's as much barfing, but yeah, I think the, it's, the barfing well, is, the barfing is the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. I'm glad you went there because I wanted to ask you about one of my favorite stories, which is the mashed potatoes story. Please tell me the mashed <laughs> potatoes story, Dr. Trump. I want to hear the mashed potatoes story. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, this is this is this actually did happen. But okay. it sort of becomes family legend because it, it gets it gets brought up over the years and I'll talk about why okay. in a minute. Yeah, but please. The mashed potatoes story itself Donald was about seven. Um, my grandmother was in the kitchen getting dinner ready. You know, um, my dad would have been about 14 at the time. So all five kids are waiting uh, for their mom to get dinner on the table. And they're waiting for my grandfather to come home. And there are seven of them all mm-hmm. together. So it's a, it's a lot of food. And in the meantime, Donald was tormenting my uncle Rob, who was about a year and a half younger skinny, skinny kid, skinny tail kid, very <laughs> sensitive. And it was Donald's favorite thing to do. And because Rob reacted so badly to it mm-hmm. and nobody could get Donald to, to stop. My grandmother, Marianne, my dad, he wouldn't listen to anybody. And, you know, my dad was seven and a half year, years older. Marianne was nine years older. Didn't care. Didn't listen. So Robert's getting more and more upset. Donald keeps needling him. And finally, my dad picked up a bowl of mashed potatoes that my grandmother had put on the table a few minutes earlier. And imagine how huge it must have been for seven of them. Picked it up and he dumped it on Donald's head. Because he literally couldn't think of any other way to get this, get him to stop. (laughs) And of course, everybody thought it was hysterical. Except Donald. Except Donald, yes. Donald was humiliated not just by the the gesture, but by the laughter, which was at definitely at him, not with him. So makes me so happy. Yeah, and and Marianne, who is really good at at getting in her barbs, you know, Hmm. she at various family events would bring it up. I think just to get under his skin because he reacts the same way every time. I think it was also like after my dad died, it was sort of part homage to him. Like it was a way of mentioning my dad 
um, and having him with us for a minute. Yeah. Um, but more than anything, it was just to, to make Donald crazy because he has never figured out how to make that funny for him. Like hmm. any normal person would laugh about that now. Yeah. Yeah. 60 years later, almost 70 years later, he sits there with a scowl, actually a pout on his face, <laughs> eyes cast down, arms crossed tightly across his chest, as if it had just happened and he was still seven yeah. and he was still totally humiliated by it. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's fun to envision that when you see him sitting there like that with his, you know, his hands <laughs> kind of making that little tent in front of his. Uh, between his legs and uh, just to keep it, oh <laughs> to keep it clean. Um, yeah, I, and I, I just I love to imagine just a big bowl of mashed potatoes on his head. It makes me makes me smile. The little gifts that we get uh, from your book are, are so well appreciated. I assure you, uh, including and especially that one. So let me ask you though, um, Doctor Trump, are there any commonly repeated stories or, or theories about your uncle that simply aren't true? The th- things that you see going around that you go, well, I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily true about him. Well, I, you know, maybe one thing um, that people people on both sides, I think, underestimate his capacity. To understand things, you know, <laughs> like um, when the Woodward tape came out, somebody asked me, do you think he really understood what he was saying about the seriousness of the virus? I'm like, of mm-hmm. course he did. You know, so so when I say he doesn't have a strategy, he doesn't have an agenda, I just mean he's not a systematic thinker. He's not an intelligent person either, but that doesn't, he's not brain dead, you know? Yeah. He understands things. And I think we, we um, do ourselves a disservice when we uh, forget that, right, you right, know, because right. um, it gives it gives the other side uh, a weapon and it gives the other, it gives him, you know, an excuse to say, hey, I was incompetent. I didn't know anything. I can't go to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so he very often knows exactly what he's talking about and lies about it anyway. You know, you said earlier his line, you can tell when he's lying. Yeah. He doesn't always know like there are times when he lies about something, knows he's lying, and the next time he says the same thing, he's not lying anymore because he's convinced himself that it's true. Um, <laughs> right. Which is a trick and a half. Um but other than that, like I can't it just seems pretty it seems like we've gotten to the point where any anything his defenders say about him is wrong. Mm-hmm. And most of what rational people say about him is reasonably accurate. So I, I wish I could think of something. Uh, well, there, here's one example that you can either yay or nay on this one. But uh-huh. there's uh-huh. a lot of discussion about uh, drug abuse, specifically uh-huh. cognitive enhancers, the, the amphetamine products. And also yep. <laughs> more recently, you know, a lot of people talking about how he's snorting Adderall and all the rest of it. Yep. If there's anything you've oh, heard along those lines that just is not just does not bear out in reality. Um, you know, I. Unfortunately, I I don't know about that, mm-hmm. but what I will say is the fact that he said that about Joe Biden mm-hmm. is a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Because he projects everything that he either hates about himself or 
denies about himself or knows nobody should know about himself onto other people. Um, so I was talking to somebody about that the other day. And, and what the thing about that that I found so bizarre was that who has ever heard that said about Joe Biden? Yeah, right. Like, it would be one thing if there were any kind of, you know, even the most crazy conspiracy theories on the fringes, but nothing ever. So for him to come, I mean, I think, first of all, it was a sign of just how desperate he's getting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, his, because right now, what his his play against Biden was he's in the basement. Well, Biden's not in the basement anymore. And then, you know, he's this doddering old man, as Donald practically um you know, is paralyzed in the middle of a ramp. Mm-hmm. Um, and, not, you know, look, I don't care about that, and I don't engage in any kind of ad hominem attacks, but the fact that Donald says that about somebody else, you know, it opens him up to it. So, oh, yeah. you know, saying that thing, it's, so on the one hand, this means that nothing else is sticking, mm-hmm. um, partially because it applies to him, <laughs> you know, yeah. as it does not apply to Joe Biden, and partially because, we live in an incredibly misogynistic country and Joe Biden's a guy. Uh, so that protects him. But, but this, this latest thing with the drugs was like, wait a minute, <laughs> is that projection? Because that's a really weird thing. There's no one going around wondering if Joe Biden is hanging out on an Amtrak with Quentin Tarantino and just doing lines and lines <laughs> of cocaine. It's just not, it just doesn't seem no. within his character. Does it? Um, no, no, yeah. Uh, just, do you ever fear that if your uncle is reelected, he's going to prosecute people like you and m- maybe even people like me for insurrection or whatever kangaroo court charges Bill Barr can muster up? I would be shocked if he didn't. Yeah, I know. I, I say that in all seriousness. Um, you know, I hate thinking like this, but and I also don't like wasting time because we have less than seven weeks and I feel like we all need to be working 24 hours a day doing whatever positive stuff we can do. Yeah. But on the other hand, like I have it in the back of my mind, you know, I should maybe have a, a plan in place uh, for November 4th mm-hmm. because, you know, first of all, um, if we don't know the results of the election on November 3rd, that may the way, you know, he's already cheating which he's doing. And people need to be very clear about that. Donald is actively cheating to steal the next election right now. Um, You know, and we can't mince words about it. He's using the office of, uh, sorry, I can't say that word uh, in response in connection with him. He's using the power of the oval office to undermine people's faith in the post post office and the legitimacy of an election in which not one vote has been cast. That's cheating. Um, But, Anyway, so if we don't know the results, he will have convinced millions of people that that means that they're that Biden cheated. And that would be just as bad, if not maybe worse than if Biden wins by a small margin. Um, so, you know, we need to be prepared for that and we may have to be prepared for dealing with it in a country that doesn't have extradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like honestly, I like to think that the, the countries we wouldn't be able to go to now that do have extradition, which would be countries we maybe would want to go to, maybe would let us stay anyway, because um, they know that a second term of this would would be just as bad for them as it will be for us. But yeah, I'm really worried about that. I mean, look at look at what Barr is doing in Connecticut, uh, and look what he's doing in the Eugene Carroll case. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you know I, I don't, uh, you, I assume you're familiar with Virginia Heffernan. Um, oh, yeah. She wrote an uh, op-ed in the LA Times, which basically said that now the case is E. Jean Carroll versus the United States of America. And, you know, you can be pretty sure that the United States of America did not rape E. Jean Carroll. Right, right. But that's what that's what that case is now. <sighs> Unbelievable. But yeah, we need to be very, very careful and take that very seriously, because imagine him entirely unfettered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not just him. Barr, Pompeo, McConnell, uh, Jared. And uh, what's that evil little Nazi, uh, Stephen Miller? <laughs> yeah, well put. Yeah, you know, I remember uh, 2004, right after that election, when George W. Bush declared victory, uh, mm-hmm. at, I, strangely enough, at the W Hotel, har har. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One of the things he said was, I have earned political capital and I intend to use it. Now yep. imagine your uncle. Uh, declaring victory and saying, I earned political capital by being reelected. I intend to use it. That is, to me, the terrifying scenario. That is the end times. Yeah, and and, and it's... I I feel like I'm just terrifying people now. (laughs) Oh, welcome to the club. I do that every damn day. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know you do. I know you do. (laughs) So um, I'm in good company there. Um, (laughs) So, and yet I still listen. So there you go. Well, thank you. Um, yes, that's nice. <laughs> no, I, have, I can have been listening to your show forever. I love it. Um, oh, I appreciate that. I have that. A, a special place in my heart for the documentaries. Oh, yes. And I, I have to tell you, <laughs> when I heard that you listened to the show, I ran around my apartment like a like a fanboy. I was like, oh, my God. I was just telling anyone who listens. <laughs> Mary, calling my mom. Mary Trump knows who I am. Yeah. <laughs> So that's very much appreciated. But anyway, back to back to the horror show. Uh, yeah, because that's definitely more fun to talk about. No, but seriously, <laughs> uh, in in all seriousness, um, this is so much worse because we have people in his administration telling American citizens to buy ammunition. Yeah, telling them that there will be an armed insurrection on our side. You know, we, the guys who don't particularly like guns. Um, So they are deliberately instilling the kind of fear and panic in in their followers that has enormous potential to result in the kinds of chaos that will get people killed, um, that will make it easier for him and Barr to steal this thing. Yep. You know, and that's why, like, I'm, I'm sure that Russia's doing something because they always do something. But for the most part, they don't have – Putin's just sitting back and letting this one ride out. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the most part. Because why not? Look, I mean, this couldn't have gone any better for him, uh, you know, because – and that's the thing that continues – doesn't, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but I, it does still shock me to the core that so many yep. people are willing to enable Donald, who, again, is, is very possibly not the worst. He's one of the worst human beings who ever lived. He has no redeeming characteristics whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And yet he's got all of these people lying for him, cheating for him, 
destroying their own country for him. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's sad. It's very sad. Yeah, I will never be able to figure out that loyalty that people have to him. It's mind-boggling. No, I just think it's, you know, it's also for their own self-interest. You know, um, McConnell, Barr, and Pompeo would like nothing better than to turn this country into a theocratic apartheid state that continually enriches them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not really just about, that. like, those people are using him to their own ends, but still. And I guess the weirdest thing is that they actually thought it was a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, three and a half years ago, who would have thought <laughs> I know. that that would be a safe bet? I know. We're off on some weird tangent in the space-time continuum, that's for sure. It's like that, uh, it's like Matt, back to- I hope it's a tangent. <laughs> yes, that's right. Me too. I so say us all, uh, Dr. Trump. You know, I just <laughs> My have- favorite television show in history, by the way, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for the- uh, oh. They're, they're going to make a new one, I think. They're going to reboot that soon. Again. I heard that. It's like, I, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Very excited. That and Star Trek Discovery are keeping me alive right now. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, great. Yeah. What Did, did you watch uh, Star Trek Picard? Did you see that one too? Yes, I did. What What did you think? So of, I have to ask you. one is going to be phenomenal. What did you think of Picard? You know, um, I loved it because I love all things Star Trek. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think it's the kind of thing. I think it has lots of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to be a little better. Yeah, me too. But I still loved it. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm a, a know. huge Next Generation fan, and I felt like they kind of fell off the rails a little bit. With Picard. It was still compelling, and I love Patrick Stewart and anything that he does. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah. you know, it's still Star Trek. It's still part of that timeline. But at the same time, it was so different than the tone of yep. the next generation that it was kind of jarring in that sense. I think maybe season two, maybe we'll get a little bit more. Because I know the next generation didn't get good until season three. So maybe it's still that waiting for us. True. So, Right, of course. Uh, Patrick Stewart was a little younger back then, so I'd like them to hurry up a little bit. But it was, yeah, there was a lot of sort of weird anachronistic stuff, like a lot of very, what seemed like 20th century attitudes going on. Yes. Um, but, you know, it was still worth hanging in there for. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have, I do have high hopes for it. Um, yeah. And honestly, though, it could have just, they could have just had that episode with him and um, Deanna and oh, well, yeah. and yeah, I could have watched that for forever. Yeah, that needs <laughs> so, to be its, that know. needs to be its own show too. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, other than watching all of the various Star Trek series, uh, Doctor Trump, what's uh, what's next on the horizon <laughs> for you? What do you got planned uh, coming up next? Are you going to kind of retreat back to having a private life, or do you intend to? Because uh, you become an influencer on the left. I don't know if you know that, but I mean, you're a big deal now. And so, uh, do you intend to uh, continue pursuing that, or you just want to go back and? continue to write uh, you're a wonderfully gifted writer so i hope there's more writing uh, on the way from you too so uh, what's next yeah you know well i appreciate you're saying all that because it's really hard to tell from the privacy of my own couch mm-hmm. uh thanks to covid um <laughs> like there's no evidence of that for me in the real world because i'm not in the real world yeah because you know being in new york i'm terrified of this thing because we got hit so hard at the beginning that you know yeah like Close people to me got sick, really sick. Close people to them died. So, yeah, I'm still uh, basically in quarantine. Um, but um, I do, I feel like, yeah, the, the book is having some impact, and which makes me happy. So, 
I mean, until the election, I, I am flat out, I am 100% dedicated. As long as people think it's useful for me to talk, I'm going to talk. Um, I don't, at this point, I don't really care about the book. It's all about fundraising and helping candidates and PACs and stuff, uh, as long as they'll have me. After the election, it depends a lot on what happens, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. Um, because, you know, are we going to be doing the work of putting this country back together and not actually not putting it back together, reconstituting it. Yeah. So this kind of thing never happens again and make sure that people for the first time in our history are held accountable in a way that matters and will change things going forward. Mm-hmm. Or are we going to continue to have to be in the resistance under circumstances that are quite honestly unimaginable to me uh, right now? I because I'm sure like all of us, and everybody listening to this, I just want to sleep for a month. <laughs> you know? Yes, thank you. I, I know exactly like, how you feel. I think sleepy, Joe. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yes, I want to be sleepy Bob, please. Let me, yes. I, I, want, to, I want that nickname. Exactly. And I mean, I like Donald think that's an insult? Please, <laughs> I wish he would sleep. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's going to depend a lot, but yeah, I, I plan to, you know, keep my hand in things and write more. And, um, because like I said, I, you know, Biden, a Biden Harris victory as lovely as that will be, doesn't solve anything. No, it just gives us a, the opportunity to start solving things. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a really long road we're on and yeah, I'm as long as I can get uh, some sleep <laughs> after November 3rd. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. All right. Well, the book is called Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. Link in the description at bobseska.com. And unlike so many books this year, this one is extraordinarily well-written. Congratulations on the book's success. And I have to tell you, a grateful nation thanks you for your bravery, your honesty, and your patriotism. Fred Rogers once uh, recommended in... Uh, during national emergencies that we should look for the helpers and you, Dr. Trump are a helper and a hero in all of this. So thank you. Oh, wow. I so appreciate it. And I, it was honestly an honor to be here. I love your work. It's just mind blowing for me to be here. And I'm so happy you asked me to come on. Oh, you're the best. You always have an open invitation anytime you want. Thank you so much though. Thank you for taking the time thank with you. me today, uh, Dr. Trump. And we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully. Absolutely. Now that you've said goodbye to summer, it's time for things to get back to our everyday autumn groove. Everything is flavored with pumpkin spice, of course, and before you know it, the leaves will start changing color. With so much changing around us, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time just for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. Visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in minutes. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines too. Number 11s, whatever that is, and crow's feet. Take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes. And by the way, the results are going to last for hours, so you can take the family apple picking and look your best the whole damn time. Even better, Plexiderm doesn't involve any visits to a surgeon and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. 
You can try a six-application trial for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com or call 1-800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and use the code VOICES at checkout. Thank you. 